0: Hi and welcome to The Connected Generation. My name is Nikia Alani and I'm your host. On The Connected Generation, we explore all things legacy business, legacy wealth, how you can build legacy businesses and wealth whilst making a positive impact on the world around you. We invite guests and explore these themes with curiosity and authenticity. This week on the Connected Generation, my word, my goodness, my absolute favorite episode thus far. I was joined by Nathaniel O'Keefe, who is a senior psychotherapist based in the UK, passionate about counseling and psychotherapy, and really passionate about mental health within the Black African community. And we explored those topics on mental health and identity and within the African community. But what I really loved about this conversation was that it really moved from the theoretical to the practical. In that, Lord, (laughs) Um, 2022 has been a long year (laughs) I know some of you are like it's only been like seven weeks but it's just been a long year I feel like the effects of the pandemic that is just this long endless experience um, the overwhelm you know the zoom fatigue it's just it's really had a huge impact um, on me in the last few weeks and so getting onto the podcast I really thought we would just have a very you know professional conversation on nathaniel's journey and his work and unpacking that but like he held space so well that i was able to um we were able to explore some of the issues that i've been dealing with in terms of uh, overwhelm and how to overcome that so i found it just such a cathartic conversation much needed release um helped me gain perspective and i was so 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 much better as a result. And Right now, I just feel like this burden has been lifted off my shoulders and I don't want to spoil it any further, but I just really encourage you to listen in. It's a very long episode. Um, we start off with the theoretical, but we very much end with the practical and I love this conversation. So tune in and enjoy. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Hello, Nike. Um, in response to the question, uh, my name is Nathaniel Gori Okke and the emphasis is on the name as you are well aware pronunciation is key in the yoruba language the rich very language. key um i have been a psychotherapist for the last i just realized this morning 14 years so 2008 fully qualified as a psychotherapist for the last 14 years and i've been practicing in the field of psychotherapy dealing with one-to-one clients group sessions uh, couples therapy um along with public speaking consultation with articles and generally trying to support people in the field of mental health as much as i can
0: how and why mental health
1: (laughs) okay okay you asked the good questions we'll be here
0: for two days (laughs) (laughs) it's
1: true it's true um let's start with why mental health why mental health when i was younger right Uh, Many, many years ago in Nigeria, I'd always wanted to work with, this is weird saying it, but as a child, that's what I had in my mind to work for UNICEF. Um, The idea was to work to help other people. And you know, great, massive trees come from little acorns. Mm. And that seed was implanted in me to be okay, now I didn't work out how, but I knew part of what I wanted to do was help other people one way or the other and my journey in why specifically mental health started when I was a a teenager 16 years old and the universe had an interesting way to bring people my way that needed um, me that that divulged really personal emotive and sometimes harrowing um, events that occurred to them so I always I was at that age going why are they coming to me you know, it was actually one brilliant summer of great highs and great lows. And I was, in essence, the counselor to some of these people. And hmm. at 16 years old, my, my life experiences were quite limited. However, I wanted to believe I was grown enough to be able to to deal with it. So I just thought to myself, you know what? I want to be equipped with the skills to be able to help people properly. Hmm. Uh, hence why I became a psychotherapist.
0: Incredible. And you referenced your Yoruba heritage, and I want us to unpack, you know, mental health, particularly as Africans. Um, what, what do you typically see in the community? What are the common struggles in this area? And why is it it's such a taboo? Why do you mm-hmm. think that is?
1: Well, historically, you know, there's taboos around the things that are different. You know, many, many centuries ago, there were taboos around having twins. Right. Can you imagine being the first woman to give birth to twins many centuries ago, where prior to that, everybody's given birth to one child and then they're two in one go. And the fear that that may have you know created around the community, going, oh, something is not right here because it's not part of what is expected to be the norm. And similar thing with mental health and the taboo around it is if it's something different, it's usually frowned upon in all communities. But if we're speaking about the African community, that, that doesn't escape that uh you know pattern of viewing things, which is you know, you're behaving different from the way you may have done before, the way that has been seen as normal, you you're acting in a way that we do not, the community does not see every day. It's frowned upon, it's feared. And coupled with, we if we're gonna be real, we're gonna be real with it all the way, coupled with certain belief systems spiritual belief systems uh my village people are after me uh belief system um then that also adds weight to it beyond what it really is which is we all have mental health and we all have mental health issues from time to time you know in our lifetime a quarter of us will have experienced mental health challenges over that period and and that is a conservative estimate right so if we what did you say Yeah, one in four. Uh, One in four. So if you and your your friends are going out for dinner and there's four of you, one of you will have experienced some sort of mental health challenges. So if we try to normalize it that way, we realize that if we do not know anyone that's had any issues with mental health in our lifetime, either we're living in a cave, or the people closest to us have not felt able to share with us their struggles and the challenges they've had with mental health because it is all around us it is part of our community
0: wow and on the latter if it is that we're surrounded by people that feel kind of imprisoned by the circumstance or Mm -hmm. they feel they there's no safety to speak up Mm -hmm. what can we do or if we're the ones that are trapped in a cage and you know are suffering in silence what what do you say to to that how do you address Mental health.
1: Well, I think mental health challenges are the sad part for it is imagine you're going through a lot. You you, you, you are overwhelmed. You are scared. You feel that the weight of the world is, is pressing you down. And to compound that feeling, you feel that you cannot speak of it. You cannot go anywhere. You know, our usual safety net, our support system, family and friends, we do not feel we can for fear of judgment, for fear of being ostracized for fear of being ridiculed, all of these things add a layer on top of the suffering we may be going through. So for me, I believe it is my responsibility, my professional uh, position, but also in my personal and cultural position, I feel it's a responsibility for me to speak on it, normalize it as much as I can. So that may open the door for someone to actually feel comfortable enough to want to speak on it, or someone to feel comfortable enough to want to listen and hear and actually speak to someone close to them and say, you you know, uh, you seem different. Is everything okay? It's okay to talk to, you know. So for me, that's part, I believe, of my responsibility. That's why I have different outlets on social media in order to normalize an African man speaking on mental health challenges and being open to being vulnerable.
0: Hmm. Uh, You've just hit the nail on the head and that's where I was going to next is the archetype of the African man. Mm. Eh? He is invincible. Mm. He is fearless. Mm. He is um, a trailblazer. He's a community leader. He's a visionary. He Mm. is vulnerability and him. They don't quite. Mm. So how, how do we have this conversation or shine a light on this issue in a way, I, I believe that. Sorry, before I, I, I rush ahead, I believe that often the African man is trapped in this identity, mm-hmm. in this, um, identity is the wrong word, in this, um, imagery.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, right? He, he, he may be trapped and maybe faced facing depression or anxiety or, yeah. or what have you. How do you reconcile the two, the strength of the African man with this more soft, vulnerable, um, approach that you're? You're kind of advocating.
1: Well, what I'm advocating is not even sort of vulnerable. I'm advocating realness. And unless that strong African man is made out of marble stone, it does not exist for you to be fully strong and masculine or the imagery in which you've depicted there. Because the realness of it is that as an African man, there are layers... And layers to my personality. There are layers and layers to my character. I can be strong or soft oh. at the same time. I can be I can be stoic and fearful at the same time. I can be courageous and and worrisome at the same time. I can have so many layers. To me. Oh. And you may think that we are depicting an imagery of strength, but what we are doing, we are we are handicapping the African man to be. Is true self. Cool. When I say self, not selves in plural, but self as an individual, which cool. means I can be gory naturally, right? And my brother can be wale naturally, look different, act differently, but we are still African men. We still, ex- you know, exhibit that that is universally African amongst us. But we can also be open to vulnerability and be acceptable of it. You know, huh. we are not doing ourselves a great service by continuing to promote this imagery. You know, imagery in itself, by definition, is one-dimensional. I haven't met oh. a human being that's one time, dimensional in my life. You know, pictures are one dimensional, sure. One dimensional, but human beings, we we are a mixture of culture, background, experience, parenting, you know, so many things that go into the mix to create the individual. But how can we all be this you know this imagery that has been passed on by others to this to depict us?
0: That's well, this imagery that's been passed on by others to depict us. I wanted to um touch on narratives mm-hmm. and the impact of the events that have impacted us as a people over time and over space. and to what extent do you think this is impacting on? Our mental well being as community.
1: Mm, that's a community? That's a good question and a, and a good follow up. Um, I use the example of black women, mm-hmm. right, African women. Over centuries, they've been depicted as strong, resilient. And when you think about it, what you are in essence saying to an African woman is when you're in pain, when you're hurt, remember your lineage, remember your bloodline. You people are supposed to be able to overcome all adversity. And by the danger of imagery like that is, you are robbing these people being real, being vulnerable. You know, um, I was reading an article, I sent an article to one of my uh, midwife colleagues or friends today about a report in America a couple of years ago, that doctors openly admit and acknowledge that when they're treating women in labor, they expect Black women to be able to endure more pain. So when women are talking about being in pain or wanting to be checked over again, they are not being given the the same medication, the same level of treatment that other races of women are given because of this image of strong Black women, right? And money is no factor either because if you have someone like Serena Williams almost dying at childbirth and if she did not insist on getting... Uh, more treatment, she could have died. So I use that example to just show you the dangers of this imagery that's been passed on for years and years. And even within our own community, we start believing that narrative. We start believing, yes, I'm a a strong black man, I'm a strong black woman. And what we're noticing is the weight of those expectations. If we're talking about African men now, the weight of that expectation can be so massive, so great, that part of it is, am I able to fulfill my destiny? What kind of a man am I if I'm not able to provide for my family? If I'm not able to withstand all that life brings my way? And that in itself pushes people further and further away into that solitude of the mind. And where mental health issues occur, it's even more difficult for them to be able to deal with it because they're supposed to be the the torchbearer, the ones that people go to, For solace so who do they go to right and one of my phrases that i love saying a lot is who saves the man that saves the world right if you think Uh, about that for a moment just think who saves the man that saves the world where does he go for shelter for support or where does he feel he can go if he is the one the arbiter of truth the arbiter of courage and everything else
0: wow um so much there, um, mm-hmm. and it's actually something I've been really stewing on recently about how it seems like our archetype is one of suffering and not one of prospering. Yeah. Um. As a as as a people, it's like we are identified by a collective suffering, whether it's transatlantic slave trade, colonialism, mm-hmm. uh, being the underdog in society, and that narrative really shapes the way we see ourselves and the way others see us, and so like what you were saying about the black woman sometimes when i'm reading stuff in the media i'm like i don't identify with this person i don't know who she is because my back breaks (laughs) i can't carry the weight of a community on my back i have enough of my own problems and i want abundance ease like every other community wants right and so as we move forward into the future like how can we um because a lot of us are parents and we're raising a new generation. How can we raise the next generation with, I don't want to say normalised narratives, but a more empowering narrative?
1: Well, when we're looking at, and I'm going to use this as an example, uh, generational trauma. And I don't necessarily mean it as a catchphrase that's been used recently. Everyone is talking about generational trauma and trauma and this. And it's a buzzword. But I, I, I mean it and I'm using it. In the, in the form in which I believe is the right way to use it. It's a continuation of a pattern of living. It's a continuation of a belief system over different generations. There are actually unhealthy ways of living. You know, I'm a strong advocate for tradition, but I believe there should be positive tradition that should be passed on and the negative ones should be left behind. And what I mean by that is the idea that just because we've done this over centuries, means we need to continue doing it, even though it may be quite destructive. So that narrative of I am being seen and the way I see myself is through other people's eyes and through other people's expectations and how limiting that can be for you mentally. What can we do to change that? We can start being that change that we have identified. Mm. So if our mothers dealt with things a certain way based on the way they've been taught, Mm. And their mothers' mothers have repeated that same pattern. If we identify that this is not the way I want to move forward, we have that power and that responsibility to pass on to our children the, the, the tradition that we are now starting, mm. which is I'm not going to limit the way you view yourself. I'm not going to be the one telling you who you are, how you are. I'm going to give you that freedom that all children have, the children the, the, the freedom of imagination. Mm to be able to define themselves based on their errors or their triumphs, but depict themselves through their own eyes, through the way they feel and see themselves within. So that's how we can change it. It changes from one person making a decision to say, the way I was raised, in part, is not the way I want to raise my child. And I want us to scrub away the, 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 the usually phrased, well, this happened to me when I was a child. I didn't die. If death is the only reason, <laughs> is, the, is the measurement of failure. and oh, success. Of, yeah, lack of death is the measurement of, of prosperity. Then I think we've got a problem there, right? Yeah. We need to start looking at other ways in which we can measure prosperity within our community. I'm talking about mental health. you know doing certain things that brings you joy it may not make you a millionaire but brings you joy things that keep you give you peace provide your well-being supporting others things along those lines those are the traditions that i want us to be able to pass on to the next generation powerful
0: powerful and i want to touch on two things um first is um a lot of us are immigrants in other countries and we straddle identities, right?
1: Mm. Yeah, identi- immigrants, expats.
0: Okay, my expatriates. <laughs> uh, international explorers.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and we straddle multiple identities, code switching, you know, just mm-hmm. straddling, straddling, straddling. To what extent do you think that has an impact on our emotional and mental well-being?
1: Hmm. Let me ask, let me... Put it in a in a parable that i think maybe some african listeners will appreciate because i love parables right you know every time i read you know things fall apart every page is filled with proverbs and parables and i'm like hold on a minute i understand everything this guy's right just from parables i'll ask a chameleon what is your natural color i'll ask a chameleon who are you and the chameleon may answer me what it depends where i'm standing what my natural color is so in the darkness of night When you're alone in your room, who are you? And if it's difficult to answer that question, if Mr. Chameleon or Mrs. Chameleon finds it difficult to answer that question, it's a question on identity and safety and where you feel at home and at peace. And if you have to be code switching, if you have to be wearing your masks uh, on a daily basis, when you take all of that off, what is there? And what, in essence, are you saying to yourself about your authentic self? Hmm. Are you saying it is welcome everywhere? Or are you saying it is not welcome in 80% of where I go? Either at work, in the social surroundings, in family environments? it is not welcome. So in essence, what are you saying about yourself, your true Hmm. self? Question,
0: question, question. I think on this topic, I think there's two parts to it. I think there's, there's an onus on self to develop inner strength and I guess um, affirmation and understanding, strength of like identity and a mm-hmm. uh, kind of um, uh, what's the word not a confidence but a pride in one's heritage and culture mm-hmm. but I think there's also an onus on others to be accepting of what is not the status quo, does that make sense like in a work environment for instance right yeah Um. I think corporates have to but you do you do work in this like corporates have to be receptive towards diversity and truly be mm-hmm.
1: yeah inclusive yeah, yeah. diversity and inclusivity yes mm. definitely mm. but I will ask you this question. Mm-hmm. I, will, if I can pass that back at you. Please is what are you responsible for? Self. I, yeah,
0: that's a very great question. And I think I, when I reflect on my personal struggle in this department, mm-hmm. I've only come into myself fully embracing all of who I am mm-hmm. in the last two, three years. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether it's a function of maturity, of age, um, but in my 20s, I was, and in my teens, I was just imitating mm-hmm. as opposed to fully being me mm-hmm. and suppressing. I was suppressing a lot of me to just belong. And there was almost this narrative of implicitly said that, you know, you're not really welcome here and you should be grateful for being here because you're the token one we're allowing into the room. Mm -hmm. And there was a sense of like a scarcity mindset on my part, like a sense of gratefulness for any, the crumbs. Mm -hmm. You see what I mean? And it was, it's really in in the last three, four years I've been like this whole load of crap, like, and uh, righteous anger has come up where it's like, well, no, um, I belong in any space I want to be in. And I will um, express the fullness of my voice with its baritones and its whatnot in any space I want to be in. And if any any space does, is not receptive of that, I'm not really interested in being there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. You, well, you are ahead of the curve. <laughs> and what I mean by that is that people may be listening to this, that, haven't had that freedom or haven't expressed experienced that freedom to be able to be come as they are. Mm. Right? When mm. you are comfortable in your own skin, the tone of it, uh your own voice, the tone of it, in the your own presence and what you as an individual have to offer that nobody else on this earth has, because you're uniquely naked. Nobody else is you. It mm-hmm. can be you. And being able to accept that unique, beautiful gift of self. Mm. And imagine, compare the last two years where you have found this, I guess, awakening and the confidence within yourself compared to the previous 18 years of your life, right? How you are, as you said, to be accepted. You are, in essence, assimilated in order to be welcomed by others rather Mm -hmm. than being your true self. And you can answer that question of, what it feels like before and what it feels like now. So if we're talking about mental health challenges, imagine living for so long, most of your life, catering to how other people perceive you or how you Uh perceive that other people perceive you. Perceive you. you.
0: Yeah, it's like an anticipation, like constantly.
1: Yes, yes. And you're living towards that descriptor of Hmm. who you should be. Hmm. Yeah, it's, so, I it's think heavy. Itself. so if we're talking about us being expats and international explorers, we are in essence in a space that we, by definition, will be in a minority. Not that we're in mm-hmm. a minority globally, but within that space, that micro space that we inhabit, we may be a minority. So in essence, we are now in a minority. We've been seen or we perceive that others are looking at us with the oh. white gaze or the brown gaze or whatever gaze that they're looking at. And we are trying to act according to something that's not natural within us oh. to cater to other people's ideal of who we should be, what we should sound like, oh. or your accent, your name, your voice, you know, how big you are as a black person, even in the usage of the word black to depict a whole grouping of people. We have to adapt to their view of us. That in itself creates issues in regards to mental health. greatly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: I remember our last conversation and you were, we were talking about blackness. Um, mm-hmm. I was saying that it's, it's, you know, blackness was really not something I really thought about until I moved to the UK, really. Mm-hmm. I saw myself as primarily a Yoruba person, mm-hmm. Nigerian, African, black, does not necessarily is not necessarily a term that would resonate with me, and it's something that I mean over time. I started to appreciate um, there are commonalities between all of us people of color, right? Um, but um, so, yeah, it's over time that I've begun to embrace and understand what blackness means. But you said something that's really powerful about the distinction between the label other people call you and the label that you call yourself. Can you speak about that?
1: Whoa. Uh, like you just said, I did not realize I was black until I came to the UK when I was um 11 years old and prior to that, I just identified myself as my name, my family name, uh, Yoruba, right Lagosian, um Ijeboudian, if there's such a, a phrase, now they're gonna be coming after me saying no I. <laughs> That's how I've identified myself. So being told I was black when I came to the UK was quite a surprise to me. I go, like, what do you mean I'm black? And, you know, children are quite literal. So I'm like, well, more brown, you know, if we are, if we are being pedantic, you know, it's more brown and mm-hmm. you are not necessarily white. Uh, I, w- I don't even know there's a, a color in, you know. In the in the shade palette that I would describe you I wouldn't say white if anything why would you want to be white it suggests that maybe there's malnutrition or something going on within you that you're white right so I was that child so I didn't recognize being black uh but there's there's been there's blackness and the power of blackness the unity and the thing that 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 binds us all based on in some regards our shared experiences okay. but in others it's our shared, experience of how we are viewed by others oh. rather than how we identify with being black it's more of we are black by being defined as black and we share that definition and whatever, oh. may, whatever may come from that oh. so i believe i do believe in self-identity oh. um but not self-identity with your head in the sand going no but i'm not black you know i'm no i'm, I'm this i'm not black but that in itself suggests that you know, fully looking at the 360 view of identity. We've got our own internal identity, how we see ourselves, but also we've got social identity that we can recognize and identify that we we may belong in this certain group. Also be Nigerian, also be Yoruba, even the, you know, be Nigerian in itself, um, I'm not the most patriotic person in the world, not because I'm not proud of being Nigerian, but because a country that was a line that was drawn by up to you know European countries sitting around a table in the 19th century to determine who gets okay. what, and this now is a country. If we're looking historically, that in itself is problematic. Oh. Uh, but yeah, I definitely identify being Yoruba I definitely identify being Nigerian, being West African, being African. Right before I get to black, all of those things are ones in which I connect to uh-huh. emotional. And cultural level. level yeah
0: that resonates that resonates and i'm wondering like amongst folks you serve, do you um do you um work with entrepreneurs business owners
1: yes um i work with corporates i work with small businesses and large uh, corporations in how i can be of support and i okay. can be of service uh not only to uh the black staff or anything like that because i believe that my identity and my worth is not limited Mm. to one group of people Mm -hmm. mental health does not know color in some regards it does not Mm. Mm. so i do work with organizations and corporations. i think it's very important to for you to be prosperous in whatever field you may be in Mm. is to understand yourself and understand what you may have previously or society have previously depicted as weakness can be your strength. When you're feeling low, when you're feeling scared, when you're feeling overwhelmed, rather than just digging deeper into that space of overwhelm, it's identifying that, you know what? I need a day. I need to take time off to actually try to reflect on what's going on for me. Mm. I need help for someone to be able to guide me in understanding what I'm going through. This does not define me as a person. Mm. Me having mental health challenges does not define me on who I am. It Mm. makes me real, Mm. right? And so um, businesses especially, if they understand that, that every one of the employees are individuals that need support, productivity itself in the long run will be greater. Because I don't know about you, if someone goes to bat for me, they've got my back.
0: Mm.
1: When when it comes time to, I've got their back. I'm working my something off to support that organization because i feel that they've supported me so Mm. it goes both ways if you want to think of in a selfish way help help your staff to feel included to feel supported so it can benefit your organization
0: that's powerful and So a number of people here are business founders, business leaders, execs, CEOs. How can they help their staff? What steps can they take?
1: Well, I I would encourage everyone to create a space. You you don't have to do it internally. It can be a space given externally to to experts within this field. I've got a company called Talking Therapy Clinic. And one of the things we do is we offer support to corporations or organizations. We Hmm. do workshops. Uh, we provide training and we also have counselors and psychotherapists ready to be able to support our organization so if you notice any of your staff are going through certain things then be able to refer them where the company may pick up the tab or at least what that is saying is that your organization is one in which is caring is supportive of their, their, their staff wow. and is aware of these things internal training are provided to your human resources department, or you can have some mental health first aiders within your your normal cohorts of, of staff that will be able to be the first port of call for any of your staff. And what's going on? Like, I'm just struggling right now. This is going on. Okay. And then be able to support and provide that support for them. Wow. And by doing that, if it comes from the top, by doing that, you are, you are now changing the culture of your organization. Wow. So imagine if... A lot of organizations do that. The culture within work now is shifting away from a cold, heartless, you know, uh, faceless organization to one in which is almost like a family organization.
0: Really important, especially in COVID times. What are you seeing with organizations and mental health since the
1: pandemic? Well, since the pandemic, I believe working from home to some has been really, you know, is had a a huge negative effect on a lot of people um, where their office is an escape away from issues you may be having at home Hmm. when that's taken away then your your solace your escape is limited Hmm. Uh, what you're finding is anxiety and depression is on the rise where people are forced um, to be at home for majority of their day if not 24 hours of the day Hmm. but also I've noticed that People work longer hours when they're working from home yeah. because there's not that switch. There's not that physical switch of I have to pack up and go home. So you notice you wake up and you start work earlier and you finish work later. And mm-hmm. that has an effect, a cumulative effect on someone's uh, mental health. So mm-hmm. it's really important for us to be aware of that. And one of the things I'll suggest is when you do have meetings, as much as possible, have it on camera have it on video because it's useful for you to look at your staff, and you'll be able to tell a lot by looking at someone, by seeing someone on camera, to see how they're feeling, uh, whether they're well, you know, camped uh, they are, whether something is just out of the ordinary for them and be able well. to give for them that support. In some regards, some people are working from home and they haven't seen another face for a long time and being able to connect, that human connection is it's, it's so powerful and the animal kingdom is powerful and, and the human kingdom is powerful to be able to see and connect on the visual level of another yeah. human being. So it's really, I, I think it's really important. So little things like that can be really helpful. And there are other tips of working from home that can be really useful in yeah. ensuring that you, you turn off your laptop at a certain time, no matter what. Uh, that you you take it away, you have a designated area for you to work in that you associate with work. So, your bed is it's not, not your office. With you. <laughs> right. And not everybody can afford that space, but even if it's just a little home, mm, you a know, corner. They know that this is where I work. Everything else is home, right? There's, there's a way of describing it. A lot of people used to work from home, but rather than working from home, you describe it as I live, at work right yeah. When start, Gosh, yeah, yeah Yeah. when you start noticing that you live at work your home has now become work and just live there then that's you don't need to wait for crisis for you to make a change you know preventative measures are very very important as well
0: so, so true um such incredible tips there and one thing i was thinking of as you were talking was um This Christmas, it was particularly difficult for me to disengage and I I couldn't like, I cleared my calendar Mm. and I had two weeks of, you know, time of bonding with the family. But then I found myself just every two, three hours opening up the laptop, refreshing emails, creating work for myself and semi, there was semi like anxiety Mm. when I wasn't working. And I realised that, like, gosh, the impact of the last two years has been immense on my mind. Like, my mind's just constant on this hamster wheel, constantly, mm. constantly. It's from one thing to the next. And my brain is just so used to activity. The thought of not doing anything was just so foreign. But eventually, I embraced, I slept so much, I rested so much, and I was so refreshed. But then, by the end of January, I was like, this has been a long year. I'm tired again. <laughs> it's been a long year i'm exhausted (laughs) so yeah it's um this pandemic dynamic is the burnout is real fatigue Mm. is real the zoom overload is real
1: yeah yeah and i I, even listening to you say that it just reminds me of the social media generation that we are all in let's not put it down to generation z y or whatever it may be Mm. that social media Generation which we are all a member of means that we've got information available to us at any time of the day, and the information we have, if you notice, is very much bite sized.
0: Yeah,
1: like if you think about it, a lot of people haven't read a real article for a long time, yeah, right? It's headlines, it's brief comments, and that's it. And then you scroll, swipe, or whatever you may do onto the next, onto the next, and what that is doing to the brain is millions and millions of snapshots a day and yeah. the brain needs to have something to it be go, you know and that way that's the cattle living and that's the cattle training of the mind it affects it then yeah. when you quiet and it's silent you feel something is not right your body yeah. used to it you get fidgety yeah. Like, yeah yeah and that is something which is going on a lot i need to be doing something i need to be yeah um, I'm looking left and right for stimuli. Yeah. I'm looking for something to stimulate us because we're used to now being stimulated on a regular basis. Hmm.
0: Right?
1: Hmm. And one thing that has helped me because I'm not immune to any of this, just because I work in the profession doesn't mean I don't have down days. Like, oh, yeah, but why would you have down days? I you can do this. I'm like, All right, well, if, if you've ever seen a doctor and he's never sick, uh-huh. Right, uh-huh. then let me know. He's it's lying. <laughs> he or she. It's, it's, it's a, a lie. lie.
0: Yeah, of it's, course. Mm-hmm. Big fat
1: liars, as, as, as we will say. But one of the things that helped me is being mindful. So mindfulness is one of those things that a lot of people, oh gosh, here we go. Mindfulness. Mm. Uh, you've been abroad for too long. Ah, mindfulness. <laughs> I'm minding my pockets. That's what I'm minded. Um <laughs> along those lines. But mindfulness is I found really helpful. Is is a way for you to embrace the quiet. Mm. And when you chip away at all the external noises, you can just center yourself and allow yourself to even calibrate and be calm and be peaceful and enjoy mm. that space and the clarity in which it brings you. So I have found that useful. Others may not, but it's something which if, you, if you've got time to look into it or even try it, try it out and see
0: it's very useful, but what I found is hmm, you have to be militant about creating space in your diary and in your head and in your heart to do it. Mm. The more cluttered any of those three are, the more you're like, I beg, I beg, I have all that things to do. <laughs> yeah. You see what I mean? And then it compounds that stress and anxiety. For mm-hmm. me, um, my, my, my therapy is running at the gym. I find a huge release when I do exercise but like uh, I'll be perfectly honest with you in the last two weeks it's been really tough like mentally for me Like I've just been overwhelmed Mm. um and the last thing I want to do is the thought of like my heart racing is like similar to like a thought like anxiety like you know when you're like nervousness yes
1: yes Yes. I'm with you so
0: so I'm not getting that outlet for like where I just release, I run, I listen to a podcast, I release my thoughts, and I'm getting even more nervous and I'm cluttering my diary with all sorts of important work that I need to do. And yeah, I know I need to be mindful, but it's just like you you get even overwhelmed thinking of how in the world am I gonna be mindful to some extent.
1: Because that's another task ahead. Yeah,
0: it's ahead. exactly there's there's a constant list of tasks to do. Mm. And your brain is constantly like thinking about something, and mm-hmm. that is the mental load is just overwhelming. And it feels in the moment like a luxury, even though I know it's not a luxury, it's a necessity for my well being. Mm-hmm. It's difficult to find the space and place to really prioritize mindfulness. I'm glad you
1: said all of these things because I think what you're saying rings true for a lot of people. Hmm. The framing of mindfulness or your own well-being as a luxury is one that a lot of people share mm. right i have succumbed also to that framing of oh i can't do this this is what is important this is a priority mm-hmm. i am not a priority that is what i'm saying to myself that's what you're saying to yourself that your well-being needs to take a back seat because mm. these emails are not going mm-hmm. to, to write themselves I <laughs> need but they're not but why why would encourage you I'll, I'll ask you to i'll ask you now is this imagine if you were in a better headspace how productive
0: oh nathaniel i know i've been there like <sighs> right after like i've been there i i know mentally and emotionally i know that mindfulness is good for me because i've been there where like i i'm clear in my thoughts i'm crisp i'm even like 50 times more efficient, all the stuff that right now is creating stress in the back of my mind. Yeah. I whiz through with ease, mm. but it feels like this, like I'm on a boulder that's going downhill and I don't know how to get back uphill. Does that make sense? Like, okay. yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Unless I do something drastic. So what usually happens is after like a season of like this kind of like stress, I'm just like, screw it. Like I start canceling, um, taking things off my calendar. Mm and I just take out some time to find me again and get back into that rhythm. Mm-hmm.
1: So you've it's got tough. Way of, the way of dealing with it is to basically... It's a cycle. To, yeah. It's to be able to do it. That, that can work. But yeah. it sounds right now as if you are going through the overwhelm mm. and rather than deal with the overwhelm or identify why I'm feeling this way or what is causing me or allowing me to allow to f- myself to feel this way, yeah. it's, I'm gonna go through it because the slope at which I'm traveling right now it sounds as if you don't feel you're able to stop it. It's just- uh,
0: yeah. And the cause of it is this blooming pandemic. Like a, a lot of the overwhelm is caused by this pandemic, and so it's yeah, it does feel like a lot of things are outside of my control. But I mean, I know I can control um, my mindfulness and my um, self care. I'm, mm-hmm. but it just feels. In, in this season, like, it's strange for me to think this. It, it just feels like I don't have the time right now. We'll get there in March. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing about myself, but this is, I'm being 1,000% honest. Yeah. yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. I feel like
0: this is a therapy session in itself. But...
1: Yeah, you've made that decision to forego your own well-being till March. Hmm. Yeah. When you
0: say it like that, yeah, uh uh-uh.
1: okay. <laughs> you say it like that, Kai. It's 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 true. Isn't it, or am I or am I mishearing?
0: No, I said it myself. You are just repeating what I said. Kai. I'm just, I'm just hmm. what
1: saying. So hmm. you
0: know,
1: we'll look after Nikare and her well-being in March. Mm-hmm. Not tomorrow. Not next week. In March. So in about two weeks' time.
0: Yeah, because we can just be managing to <laughs> because there's not there's so many things to do. To... Are there? Yeah. I'm moving house. Mm-hmm. That and that mentally has been a huge source of stress as well.
1: So you're you're moving house.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm.
0: And I hate moving house. Um,
1: I think a lot of people share that view. Moving house is one of the most stressful events in our life. Yes. Lifetime,
0: right. I always mm-hmm. fall sick whenever we move house. Like as soon as we move in, I fall so,
1: sick. So you are you are very aware. Oh, of yeah. You're, you're self-aware about things impact you. So moving. I, house, are things that, yes, they're naturally stressful. And Mm -hmm. also the way we frame moving houses, before you even start moving out, I'm sure in your mind. I I haven't
0: done anything, I haven't packed the books. Just the thought of it. I think actually, coming to think of it, the anticipation of that is the source of the overwhelm, actually.
1: That's what I was going to say to you. Yeah. What goes on in your mind? How do you frame (sighs) this activity? Because usually we frame certain things a certain way and we're surprised if it happens the way we framed it in our minds' be uh-huh. <sighs> moving us. oh love the stress oh, this is gonna be yeah and then that is creating how we're going to experience it you know and it's creating stress you haven't even lifted <laughs>
0: I haven't done a thing no, no, no. I haven't re- no, no. I haven't written one list I haven't I haven't done a thing just mm-hmm. share exhaustion mentally of oh, thinking yeah. of what needs to happen yeah
1: okay you've identified it right there on what is causing this current mode of overwhelm is your own perception and mm. projection of what's mm. going to happen in this great task you're going to do which is moving home your past experiences of it has also led to you creating this idea that this is going to be torturous yeah which is building up that anxiety before mm. you've even done it that's like mm. that, you're putting it off or letting i'll do it tomorrow i'll start writing a list tomorrow because i know if i start it's going to be crazy for me mm. so how yeah. can you how can you change you know we're talking about you know changing the narrative and changing how we see ourselves and not seeing ourselves in other people's eyes how can you change the way you see this task as not being this huge uh you know bothersome really you know, anxiety-inducing tasks. How can you reframe it?
0: Honestly, I don't know. You don't know? Because in the past, I had help. Mm-hmm. So much help in Nigeria, right, When we move house. So, sort of, I guess it's a new beginning. Mm-hmm. The joy of our new house.
1: Tell your face what you're saying. <laughs>
0: <laughs> because your face is like, yeah. girl, what you saying? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm to think of, I'm trying to think of So, 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 yeah, the destination is fun. I see that. Oh my god, when we're in there, yeah, great. But the in between, eh, Mm -hmm. the in between juggling work, juggling children, juggling me, Mm -hmm. juggling husband, plus the brain just.
1: I haven't seen your husband or your kids, but I can't imagine you having the ability to physically lift them up and juggle them. So when you start seeing them as a juggle... As a ball to be juggled. Yes. When you start seeing them like that in itself, it creates...
0: The anxiety.
1: The anxiety. Oh, I have to juggle the kids. Kids, go to school. Oh, right, cool. I can do this in this time.
0: Yes. No, yes, that is my issue.
1: Right. The, husband, the feeling of the...
0: Yeah, that is, that is the mental load. Hmm.
1: Break it down. Reframe it. Mm-hmm. Go to I imagine it's going to be a beautiful place. Yes, it's looking going, forward to it. It's going to. Look bad. Okay, okay, okay. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Um. No, we, we want pictures. We want images. It's going to be a lot of <laughs> lights coming in. I imagine it's going to be nice and clean, minimalistic, maybe. Or I, I, I don't do clutter, right? So I imagine mm. be either. I see a lot of black, beautiful black and white imagery there. Is that Diana Ross?
0: That is dangerous.
1: Yes, yeah. So I see, okay. mm, Mm -hmm. I'll be able to see that your style is going to be beautiful, right? You're going to have your own space to do your work. Yes. You're going to have massive space for them to play, make noise that you're not going to hear them. You're going to soundproof your office. Yes, they'll be killing each other in the other room. You won't even know. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So you've got, I'm, I'm I'm helping you create this imagery right now. So what you need to do is go from point A mm. to this beautiful place that is going to be your home.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the beauty of point A to point B is you get to decide what comes with you on this journey. Mm. So for coming, now, nah, you stay there. And it's just describing what you want this home to look like and what in part A needs to come to this part
0: B. And what we need to get rid of physically what and emotionally.
1: Well, I guess for me... Well, I love that. Rather than looking at what you need to get rid of, look at what you need, you want to keep. And whatever Hmm. you want to keep, you keep it. And whatever is not on that list, automatically is something to be got rid of. Rather than thinking of, oh, what do I need to get rid of? What do I need to keep? Focus on the positive. What do I want in my life in this new place?
0: Chai, Nathaniel, you're good, you're good.
1: I'll send you my (laughs) inbox. No, I
0: want yeah, good. ah, because the last two weeks, yeah, I've been acting like a. Eh, hmm.
1: Is, is good to. It's good to open up and explore and express. Yeah. And hopefully, whoever's listening can can take can, this. Honestly,
0: this is the reason why I, I. I could easily just have kept the veneer. I been mean, this professional host and asked the right questions. But I've dealt with anxiety and stress in the past and overwhelm. But the ways that, like I said, typically I de-stress and release just were not I couldn't get there Mm. this particular period and it was just it's been a lot like you know it's been a lot and you know it's really this conversation that's helped me to identify what the source really was Mm. um but this has been super helpful um I feel like yeah this has been a free therapy session and I, I hope that those that are listening gain something from it apart from just hearing Nika's problems.
1: (laughs) Well you sharing your problems is helping other people Mm. normalize that actually we're all human beings. We're all real. Mm. We want an image on Instagram, you know, Mm. or on YouTube. We're not whatever other people have projected onto us. We are real. Mm. And I deal with things in real life. I may be on social media, but I deal with things in real life. And what you shared there, I believe more people need to just share themselves in the good times, in their Photoshop images or whatever else they're putting out there, but also in the real times. Because, Uh you know, more good is done that way rather than somebody looking up to you and putting you on a pedestal. Uh Pedestals, in my experience, are there to be kicked so people Uh fall down, right? Uh So uh, a pedestal is not a place for human beings to be in. Plants, yes, Uh, but, but not people to stand on, no.
0: Thank you, Nathaniel. Thank okay. you. Um, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, learn about how they can work with you or learn about more of your work, how can they get in touch?
1: Uh, let's start with LinkedIn. Um, it's Nathaniel. Okay. Uh, my website is talkingtherapyclinic.co.uk. Mm-hmm. Um On Instagram, I am uh, putting here, okay, or the, the talking therapist on that as well. Um, so yeah, those are the Main ways in which people can get hold of me.
0: This has been my favorite episode so far.
1: Don't let the rest hear you now. Now they have to hear next week, and I'm
0: hearing. It is my favorite.
1: That's why I said so far. You see, you. Oh. But I've been over 100,
0: so no, this mm-hmm. has mm-hmm. been.
1: Next week will be, oh, you know, this is my favorite. <laughs> Law- that's lawyer talk, you know. You see, the way you come up with your own. Music.
0: No, I mean, I feel like it's been, I've gotten so much value from it. I figured out my life. Um, <laughs> I free. I don't know about anybody else, but <laughs> I feel free. I feel like there's been a weight that's just been lifted from here, the brain, the back of the head.
1: I'm excited for you, for you moving into your home and you put your own stamp on it and you get mm. to create this space. Yeah, yeah, it's mm. going to be it's gonna be great. I mean, you see the reframing? Mm-hmm. It's going to be brilliant. When you're done, you're going to be there sipping on something going, yes, yes, the bathroom it's is sipping open. Sipping on a lot.
0: <laughs> sipping on a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Amazing. Thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate oh. it. Awesome. Wow. Wow. I
0: mean, it's been a few days since that episode. And like, I've just been like, really thinking about it. And it's really funny. So in January, um, I have a monthly newsletter. Um, If you'd like to join the newsletter um, list, click on the link in the show notes and subscribe. But that's not the point. The point is I have a monthly newsletter and in January, I wrote about the importance of mental well-being in families and how it's important that we have, you know, psychological safety so that in families we can all say like, I'm not okay when I'm not okay," Right. And so instead of that veneer, which really isolates us. um, And the funny thing is, at that point, I was perfectly fine. And then it was like two, three days later, and suddenly I just felt this huge, immense overwhelm and semi kind of anxiety. And it was just really difficult to just feel. I just felt like this huge weight on my shoulders. And I then have this conversation with Nathaniel. And it was almost like, you know, putting my um, newsletter um, into practice, right? In that I needed that safety to speak up, right? And it was in speaking up that I found what I needed at that point in time. And it's funny, um, Nathaniel had posted uh, an image um, on his Instagram and on his LinkedIn on the 7th of February, an image of like this mother that is exhausted and she's looking at her feet and she's trying to put on her slippers and I guess she's just woken up and, you know, that imagery she's anticipating the day ahead with just sheer exhaustion and I remember seeing that image and I was like god that's how I feel (laughs) I completely connected with that image and um Nathaniel writes whatever unseen battles you are going through please know that it is not permanent if you can please put one foot in a slipper and then the second and I think that's really powerful um when we are dealing with matters of the mind, it can feel permanent. It can feel overwhelming. It can feel like you're going down this slippery slope and you just don't know how to stop, but it's not permanent. And it's just so important to please find someone that you can talk to, um, a therapist, a friend, just someone that will embrace all of you with curiosity, with no judgment and with sheer love, and encourage you to put one foot in a slipper and then the next. Because it does, there are brighter days ahead. There are, in as much as this pandemic has overstayed its welcome and all the disruption. And the disruption continues. Um, there are brighter days ahead and what you're going through is not permanent. And Nika is preaching to herself right now. <laughs> um, just Just wanted to encourage you as this really encouraged me thank you so so much for tuning in as always i am so so grateful for all of you and your reviews oh my goodness thank you um if you haven't left a review please do go onto itunes or spotify and leave a rating and a review um, really appreciate it it helps to boost the algorithm and so that the podcast can be discovered by those that need this content So I'm super grateful for you all. Thank you so much for tuning in. Take good care and God bless you.